0: Coronavirus upheaved travel, and the cruise line industry was the first to go. Early on in the pandemic, cruise ships were like incubators of the virus. They dropped off infected travelers at ports and then tested just how well quarantining worked. ...involving that first
1: ship while it was under quarantine off the coast of Japan. So many health authorities around the world calling it essentially a petri dish... For the coronavirus.
0: They were an illustration of a world with newly closed borders. Nearly a month at sea, two ill fated Holland America cruise ships carrying passengers sickened by the coronavirus were finally allowed to dock in Florida on Thursday. And as a capital intensive industry, these cruise companies were an indicator of how the pandemic could take the most well positioned company by surprise. Carnival was the world's biggest cruise line operator. It had $20 billion of revenue in 2019. You know, everything was plain sailing, pardon the pun. But cruise lines were facing an indefinite pause, and Carnival needed cash. Financially, its
2: revenues dropped 99%. It suspended the majority of its cruises. The CEO was essentially preparing for what he called a zero-revenue scenario.
1: It was talking to a lot of these direct lenders it was saying, hey, could I borrow some money by mortgaging my ships? A bit like a pawnbroker.
0: This is Behind the Money. I'm Amy Keene. In the early days of the pandemic, we heard a lot about the dash for cash. This was about companies such as Carnival Cruise Line, desperate to draw down loans or to raise new debt, all in order to ride out an extended pause in business. There's also a concern among investors that there might not be enough money in the system to meet this demand. But what actually happened was quite the opposite. And it's accelerated a shift in who holds the power in corporate lending.
1: One of the theories that underlines all investing is diversification. If I invest in the debt of a retailer and an energy company and, you know, a car manufacturer, Those three industries are never going to all be hit at once.
0: That's Rob Smith. He's the FT's Capital Markets correspondent, which means he writes about corporate debt and how it's raised.
1: The pandemic and lockdowns and all this just completely upended that number of uh, retailers are taking drastic steps uh, after being hit hard by the coronavirus. Neiman Marcus missed a bond payment. The and that comes as luxury car makers grapple with supply chain problems, You've got the travel bans and a slowdown in that critical China market now. You had like all these different unlinked industries having massive issues at the same time. So I think it scared a lot of people as someone who covers that market. Their fears were kind of being reflected back to me, you know, people were saying there's going to be loads of defaults, the markets aren't going to be open for companies that want to borrow, banks might be scared to lend, was that real kind of like dramatic fear scenario?
0: We are here tonight because of the violent market reaction to the very real threat. The coronavirus is about to impact this country in ways we have never, never seen more. before. Even
2: so today with the, uh, the market going the way it is, is on the corporate credit side of things. And, and
1: we have Coronavirus seen- has affected equities and government bond yields, but do investors need to worry about
0: underlying debt? This was the mood in March. We heard a lot about companies searching for cash, drawing down credit facilities, or trying to raise new debt. But then, as you might be familiar with by this point, the Federal Reserve intervened.
1: The Fed today going where no Federal Reserve has gone before, uh, scheduled this morning to have begun the uh, corporate bond buying program where it will. The buy, Federal uh, Reserve stepped in, in the and directly year. intervened in bond markets in a way it never had before. It kind of propped up the whole system. And you've seen yields on regular bonds
0: fall massively. Instead of getting. Out of the market, investors piled in, which sent prices up and yields down, even in the riskier high-yield market.
1: It's called the high-yield market, but actually the interest rates on some of these bonds are really low, like less than 3%, which isn't particularly high-yield. If you thought about things back in March, you wouldn't have thought people would be falling over themselves to lend to seemingly riskier companies. You know, we're going through this massive potential economic shock to the system in which debt-laden companies might have fallen over.
0: But the reality is that if you look at Carnival, the picture of a company with illiquid cruise ship assets, with a business model completely disrupted by the pandemic, when it needed cash, it was able to find it. And so it turned to the bond
2: markets for a rescue bond of $4 billion, which I think it got over $10 billion worth of orders.
0: Niku Asghari is a reporter at the FT covering corporate finance.
2: People were willing to buy bonds for a
0: company who knows whether it's going to survive. Its its industry is completely decimated by the virus. This interest from the public market also meant Carnival was able to walk away from a private lender.
2: Carnival was able to step away from its talks with direct lenders who would likely have offered more onerous terms and conditions. And that was only really because
0: of the Fed's intervention that allowed such a COVID-hit company to access the market. Before the Fed's bond market intervention, Carnival and other companies in similar situations were going to direct lenders for financing.
1: What direct lending is, is that you have some often private equity firms that have raised funds to invest in debt. They've spotted that there's some companies, the banks don't really want to lend to them, but they also don't fit well in the bond market either. What these direct lenders can do, they just go to the companies themselves and they say, hey, you don't need to go to a bank or you don't need the hassle of doing this bond raising process. I'll just lend you the money directly. And guess what? You can have a conversation with me about whatever funky little terms and conditions you want.
0: Direct lenders occupy this unregulated gap between the public debt market and banks, and they aren't subject to the same oversight as public lending.
1: They can say, we don't have capital regulation like a bank. They don't have this tick box system where they plug in ratios. And they go, well, you know, bank regulation says this is risky. Actually, we think this is fine. And then also, because they're doing it one-on-one, they can craft the loan together in the way the bond market can't. When you're chopping something up and selling it to 300 different pension fund managers, you can't get into the nitty-gritty like that. So what these direct lenders can do is go to these guys and say, hey, your bank wasn't comfortable with that feature. The bond market doesn't want to lend to you on these terms. We'll give you everything you want. There's just a price for it. If you pay us a higher interest rate, we can do a funkier, sort of more bespoke loan for you.
0: That's the key part. A higher interest rate in exchange for a tailored debt deal with one of a small group of private lenders.
1: They're like a handful of firms They're like real power players on Wall Street in the space. And when I say handful, I really do mean a handful. There's maybe like five of them. They've really emerged as the people who can do this at scale.
0: Think of some of the biggest private equity firms. Apollo, Blackstone, Aries. You also have Sixth Street and a group called HPS. They all have divisions that do direct lending.
1: They have names and reputations where they can raise lots of money from you know, big US endowment funds but also like sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East.
0: And many of these groups have one thing in common.
1: If you look at the people at the top of these firms, they're literally like former acolytes of Michael Milken. If you know anything about Michael Milken, you probably know, well, he pioneered junk bonds he got into trouble and went to prison and then he got pardoned by (laughs) President Trump this year.
0: Mike Milken, who's gone around and done an incredible job for the world. He suffered greatly. He paid a big price, paid a very tough price. These are all people that, you have to see the recommendations. I rely on recommendations.
1: But actually, like, Milken's like a lot more important than that. He really shaped the way we finance companies today. If you go back to what Michael Milken did, basically, he took something in high yield bonds, junk bonds that was seen as taboo. And debt back then was seen as a bad thing. You know, you thought about your own household, how you manage your household, you shouldn't get into debt because debt brings problems. And there was kind of that mentality was applied to the corporate world. Basically, what Milken did was he had like a really powerful and simple observation, and that was that if you lent to loads of these riskier companies, if only a couple of them went bust, actually, you'd earn more returns because you're getting compensated through the high interest rates or high yields, hence high yield bonds. So a pool of these seemingly risky bonds, if you held enough of them, they're actually quite safe. Now the funny thing is, is like that whole observation has been massively proved right. In the the high yield bond market, as I was saying before, is now this incredibly boring, staid industry with all these pension fund managers, and it's it's not seen as like a racy thing at all. When we think about the nineteen eighties buccaneering junk bond era, actually the junk bond market isn't like that anymore.
0: But the private lending market is, and the heads of a lot of the private equity groups behind these funds came up under Milken. Possibly the most well known is Leon Black, who co founded Apollo and was previously one of Milken's senior lieutenants. Black's been in the news recently for his professional ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Then there's
1: Leon Black's brother in law, Tony Resler, he went on to found Ares. And then if we think about Blackstone's GSO, the G in GSO is Bennett Goodman. He also worked for Michael Milken. So you've got a lot of the kings of capital in the space. They can trace their lineage all the way back to Michael Milken.
0: What they're doing in the direct lending space is taking debt back to its high yield roots. But instead of being on the public market, these deals are all private. Now, Carnival managed to raise debt publicly But another company affected by the pandemic did not. Bombardier. Bombardier is a huge, over $16 billion Canadian business that makes trains and
2: planes, um, which, as you can imagine, has been hugely hit by coronavirus and the fact that no one is flying or really moving anywhere. So then they had to look for funding. And Bombardier is a listed company. It's a multi-billion dollar listed company that has typically gone straight to the public bond market. But they turned instead, this time, to direct lenders. Firstly, just a company called HPS, um, which then brought in Apollo and Ares, And together, they gave Bombardier the billion-dollar loan. And for someone like Bombardier, who has typically raised money on the public bond markets, it's unusual to sort of the banks that they've been working with for years to almost put them aside and start a relationship with a different set of lenders. Bombardier said that they considered various different options and decided to go down the private route because it was more flexible at a
0: competitive cost. Bombardier was already in the middle of selling its train division to focus on planes. One of the terms in its deal with the direct lenders
2: was that once their train units sold, they can repay half the loan early, which you can't typically do on the bond market. You raise all the money and then you pay it at the end of maturity. Now, we know that they ended up paying an interest rate in the teens, which is pretty high,
0: um, even for a high-yield company at the moment. You can think of Bombardier and Carnival as foils in the same story. They're both operating in sectors hit hard by the pandemic. But it's not that Bombardier
2: was hit sort of more hard than Carnival and therefore turned to direct lenders. It was more that Bombardier valued having this loan with extra sort of bells and whistles, if you like, that the bond market couldn't provide. So if six months down the line, we're in a situation where the economic downturn from the pandemic is more prolonged for companies in certain sectors and the problems that they need fixing are more complicated than just we need money and we need it right now, which was the case in March, April time and across the summer for most, the direct lending companies might be the ones that they turn to for these Extra bells and whistles and clauses
0: that you can't get on the public markets. The shift in corporate lending has been happening for several years, but it's been accelerated by the pandemic.
1: Over the past decade, you've seen a big shift in the balance of power on Wall Street from investment banks to private equity firms. The last financial crisis was all about investment banks taking risks. And what we've really seen is all the regulation that we brought in in the last financial crisis to curb investment banks taking risk, has meant that private equity firms, which are regulated entirely differently, have stepped into that vacuum. They've spotted this gap that's opened up over the past 10 years, and they've driven straight through it.
0: Less oversight is one thing, but these private equity groups also have the dry powder, or money, ready to invest. That's in part due to a recent influx of interests from some deep-pocketed investors, including a few sovereign wealth funds.
1: I think one of the big things that you've seen this year is you've seen a lot of Middle Eastern money flow into the space. These Middle Eastern guys are like looking to where they're going to make a return on their money. They're not interested so much in like the high yield bond fund. They're going to turn to these guys.
0: Take Apollo teaming up with Abu Dhabi's Mubadala, for example. They've signed a partnership which they say is going to lend $12 billion over the next three years.
1: So... You know, this Abu Dhabi sovereign wealth fund can deploy a lot of money with one of the giants of Wall Street that it thinks can be savvier than anyone else. And it's basically only going to target loans at $1 billion and above. So, like, they're literally saying, hey, you know, we're not going to open our checkbook unless you need more than a billion. So, that's something we're seeing across the investment space, like Middle Eastern capital needing to find a home is what's happening here. So, When like a U.S. company is borrowing from Apollo in future, it's also borrowing from the Middle East as well. It's borrowing from Abu Dhabi.
0: This isn't quite how direct lending has always worked.
1: Direct lending really started as lending to the smaller guys. About a decade ago, the very small companies were the ones that were in that in-between zone between the banks and the bond market. They were too small to tap the bond market, but they also weren't getting loans from the banks. And we've seen that this year, like a load of small to medium-sized businesses have filed for bankruptcy because they can't go and borrow from the bond market. They don't have a relationship with JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs.
0: And the top direct lenders with ever-growing funds to deploy, well, they're focusing on bigger companies.
1: And these guys, they're looking at the amount of money they've got and they're like, wait a minute, actually, we, we don't have to lend to the little firms anymore. We can go to people who typically tap the bond market and we can try and lend to them. The guys who can raise large amounts of money, they're trying to do large loans um, because they think these are the kind of firms that are more likely to get through a protracted downturn than the smaller guys. If you lend to a large company, there's all sorts of things it can do when it can get into a tight spot. A large company tends to have more levers it can pull if it gets into trouble there's a kind of Darwinian thing where it's, it's not like survival of the fittest, but it's survival of the biggest.
0: What Rob calls Darwinian is an example of the winners and losers of the pandemic. And in terms of who gets the cash to survive the crisis, well, at least in the corporate world, it looks like the winner takes all. Rob, you've described the shift of direct lending going from sort of mid-market, medium-sized businesses to the big players. And... It makes me wonder, makes me think about who gets to survive and who won't be able to, who might be able, because of this, to see through the crisis and those who might just not have the chance.
1: Yeah, I think if you think about a company like Carnival Cruises, right, cruise lines have been absolutely smashed (laughs) by the pandemic. Right at the start, they became one of the iconic businesses (laughs) of coronavirus because there were all these horrible stories of people dying on cruise ships and how they were vectors for the disease, right? But Carnival Cruises has like now borrowed billions of dollars this year, quite happily, because of the Federal Reserve stimulus. Carnival didn't actually need the direct lenders. <laughs> it was able to just go to the bond market and raise a load of money. So you've had massive companies in industries that are in like the absolute eye of the storm of the COVID crisis And they've been able to borrow billions. I think that's kind of the disconnect here between sort of, you know, companies you see on your high street that are in trouble and then these big blue chip companies which actually have pretty ropey balance sheets. I think all this money flowing into large direct lending is is just going to fuel that further, the sort of haves and have-nots of capital.
0: I guess that brings me to the question then of downside risk, of what might be sort of on the other side of these otherwise interesting deals
1: i suppose a fear from a lot of people is do you have too much money chasing too few lending opportunities um and if 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 we take a step back what we've seen um in the bond market right is we've seen yields fall basically as central banks have bought government bonds and all that sort of thing quantitative easing it's driven yields on bonds lower and that's also happening in the high yield market. Now, people who would invest in those high yield funds, they might then go, well, maybe I should invest in one of these direct lending funds as well because they seem to be getting 7-8% yield on these loans and they're telling me that they're smart sophisticated people who know how to manage that risk. But the I guess the the, the worry is that is that if you as you have more and more investors chasing these private direct lending opportunities you get a lot of money rushing into the market you get them making loans to companies that maybe shouldn't have them and you know that's something we'll see down the track you know i I said earlier that a lot of companies have managed to borrow their way out of trouble this year that's always obviously only a temporary solution um you can't solve a debt problem with more debt if you think economic conditions are going for a temporary blip then you know you can raise money to see you through that. But if actually we see a protracted economic downturn due to all this chaos and um, uncertainty caused by coronavirus, then you may just be lending to a company that's completely unsustainable and has just borrowed a lot more money and it's going to create bigger issues down the track.
0: In a time like this, when you're looking for a bellwether of how industries are faring and if signs of recovery are real or just a company being propped up, This turn towards private lending makes it a lot more difficult to see what's really going on.
1: If you think about if you're an investor in one of these direct lending funds and one of the companies in the direct lending fund gets into trouble, how do you know? If the company's invested in bonds, the price of the bond goes down and they have to mark the portfolio to market. There is no market here. (laughs) You know, if the company gets in trouble... Is it reflecting the portfolio of the fund immediately? It's, it's hard to know. So if you're someone who thinks that transparency overall is good for financial markets, you are probably not gonna like this whole shift.
0: Meanwhile, the rush into private lending isn't showing any signs of slowing down. The FT recently reported that asset managers were looking to raise almost $300 billion for private debt deals, all in an attempt to lure investors away from the public markets. You can read more from Niku and Rob and the rest of the corporate finance team at FT.com. We've linked to two helpful stories in the show notes for this episode. And we'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy the episode or have feedback about the season, email us at behindthemoney at FT.com. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or tweet me. I'm at Amy P. Keen. And if you really like the episode, perhaps you might tell a friend. Behind the Money is produced by Oluwakemi Aladisui. Green Turner is our sound engineer, and Liam Nolan is our editor. We'll be back next week.
1: Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface.